privilege to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, he's a man that I've known for actually a number of years now, goes back quite a while. Uh, when I was pastoring in Peterborough and uh, even before I was a pastor, he would come and preach for us until the pastor I served at the time. And um, he was someone that I always respected deeply as a man of the Holy Spirit, a man that carried the presence of God. And now knowing him as my boss, um, I see him as a father and not just as someone who carries the Holy Spirit. And he's a man that I believe carries the heart of God. He's a man that carries uh, that sense of love and the Father's heart for his people. And so it's my privilege to introduce our regional leader, Dave Campbell. Will you give him a big Elon Wimbledon welcome? Wow, praise God. Isn't he good? Wow. It's good to be with you, John Letitia. Nice. Um, I was trying to think. The first time I ever spoke in the Elam Church in Wimbledon was 1976. It's a long time. It's the same sermon. I just keep preaching it till the same jokes. But so that was a long time ago. As pastor Smith was a pastor then. And then I remember coming back when to Montague Road when uh, Rob Stiles was a pastor. And I can remember appointing Marcus Bennett to be the new pastor. I'd move him from Montague Road down to High Pass. And then, and then everything got better when you get a new pastor, John. It took you a long time to come across the street, really, didn't it, really? When you think about it, just from there to there. And that was so exciting. I was so thrilled we got the new building got opened. And I wish I could have been here for the opening when um, we were talking about doing dates for the opening. Uh, pastor John and I, we had... We tried to get a date when the general superintendent and I were both available, but couldn't do it. So we, we decided it was good if he came, and he did a better job. So he, he was because I know I could come any time and see you all. So I'm glad I'm glad you had a great opening. I'm sorry I wasn't here. I was somewhere else. I can't remember where I was. wasn't wasn't as good as here. Because like uh, I look after 140 churches in the metropolitan region, and this is the best one. I say that everywhere, <laughs> but people seem to quite like it, so it's like, I mean, it must be true somewhere, mustn't it? I mean, it must be right somewhere, so I don't really know what it is, but they're all great in all sorts of ways, but that, that's great, so it's good to be here. Um, let's read the Bible, shall we? Um, from John chapter 11. If you're under 30, can I just say to you, the Bible is available in printed form these days. You might want to get one of these further, before they run out. And that we're going to read from John chapter 11, and verse 38, John 11, verse 38. Here we go. And this is the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And, um, and, and I read from the born again King James, the new King James version. And verse 38 of 11 says, Then Jesus again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he'd said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Amen. God bless his word to us. It's interesting, this story. This is, um, uh, this bit's free. If you're timing me after this bit, this is just an introduction. It doesn't count. This is, this is the uh, buy one, get one free bit. But 
Um, it's interesting, this story, very interesting, because Jesus was, his, this is his friend, Lazarus. And if you read about it, he actually come and says, Lazarus is ill. In fact, he's, he's dying. And Jesus said, all right, well, we'll wait a few days and then we'll go and see. Can you imagine if, I don't think if my best friend heard I was really ill in the hospital, he'd come straight away. Jesus said, okay, well, well thanks for telling us that. Because we'll Jesus wanted Lazarus to die. Because you can't resurrect someone who's already alive. So he's waiting for us. And sometimes, you know, when God's moving in your life, it didn't make sense at all until afterwards. No idea. He said, are you sure she's doing? No, we're going a couple of days. And when he arrives, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, who are big friends of Jesus, um, Martha says first, then Mary says something similar. So Jesus, Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, he would not have died. That's good. And Jesus said, yeah, but she, he will rise again. Don't worry. And she said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, 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 in, the, in the resurrection, he will rise again. Isn't it interesting that people like Mary and Martha and like us can have faith for what could have happened yesterday, well, a faith for what will happen tomorrow, but Jesus is coming saying, I want you to have faith for it to happen today. For I am the resurrection and the life. And God's looking for a people who are faith, not just for yesterday it could have been different, or next, next year will be different, but for today to be different. Like Bill Johnson says, I think it's Bill Johnson. I had this conversation with Bill Johnson once, and I said, I love that quote of yours, and I told him what I'm about to say, and he said he didn't say it. And I said, well, maybe it's me then, but I don't think so. I'm, I'm pretty certain someone said it. But he said something like this, that, that most Christians have enough faith to believe that we're going to heaven when we die, but God is looking for people who have enough faith to bring heaven to earth while we're still alive. And that's what Jesus was bringing, this, this faith for today. So I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and the first bit really is a little bit like, like God, God wants us to learn to do what we can do so that he can do what only he can do. Partnering for a miracle with God means that we do what we can do then he will do what only he can do. Sometimes you say, all we need is the Holy Spirit. Say, yeah, that's true. God could do it without us, but he's chosen not to. He's chosen to let us be a part of it and see a part of the miracle that happens. And this is one of those stories when Lazarus is raised from the dead. <clears throat> Remember, when he comes, he says, first thing is roll away the stone. Now, I don't know how he did that. I think he probably said, about right, you four lads, or maybe it was, for ladies, it's equal opportunity church, you see. So it's probably, you, you four folks said, move away, big, big stone. Move, move away the stone. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, if you remember that story, when the ladies turned up, an angel had already moved the stone away. So Jesus could have done that. But he didn't do that. So why did he do it? In fact, it would have been quite good if he said, Father, send an angel and move away the stone. If an angel had come and moved away the stone, he would have had everybody's attention. But he didn't do that. He said, well, I could do that, but I'm going to ask you to move away the stone. And that meant these four lads, I'm guessing, you know, four lads, whatever, it would change their life forever because they were part of a miracle. All they did was move a stone. To be honest with you, it's a laborer's job. It's not, you wouldn't have to be, you wouldn't have to have your PhD. It wouldn't be your PhD they'd be talking about. It'd be sort of just, 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 you just something that moves stones and push things. That's all you have to do. But these men would have, oh, thank you. I'm not a gin and tonic for ages. But it's fighting me. Where was I? When you get to my age, you can't stop. You have to keep going because then you forget where you were. But almost just thinking, well, where was I? They've been part of that. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Because see what he says to him, listen, he wasn't really dead. That's why he came. Now, he, was, he was in there waiting to get out. And these four lads would say, hey, listen, we, we, we moved away the big stone, by the way. We moved away the stone. Something had crawled in there and died. Trust me, when we opened it up, whoa, the smell that came out of that place. Oh, it was disgusting. There was definitely a dead body in there. Definitely a dead body. Something had died in there. But when, when Martha says, you know, you smell, she was right. 
She was absolutely right. Something was, something was bad in there. And see, they became witnesses. They actually says, I know this was a miracle. Something happened. And all they did was move away a stone. And Jesus stands there and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Because I've got this idea that if Jesus just said, come forth, it'd be like the day of the zombies. It'd be like every dead body, everyone, they'd all be coming back. All these would be walking out and everyone else would have ran off. It happened a bit in the resurrection, at the crucifixion, didn't it? But he said, Lazarus, it's almost like, only Lazarus. Come back the rest of you. Wait for the resurrection. Just only, and, and, and you know which Lazarus I mean. Because I don't know how common a name Lazarus was. Just, just, just the, our Lazarus, the one we're talking about. Just that one Lazarus he's come for. Because they all could have come. But you see, man had done what he could do. Now Jesus does what only he can do. But sometimes he's waiting for me to do what I can do in order that he can do what only he can do. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out like this. Because he's all bound up in bandages. He says, some very few, quite uncomfortable things have happened to a dead body. And he's got a, a napkin or something around his face. And he's standing there. Going, Basically, if they don't do something, this is going to be the shortest resurrection in history. Because he's suffocated. He's going, and he said, quick, quick, quick. And he said, loose him. And she said, loose him. Give him a sake, before he dies, we've just resurrected him. Don't let him die again. And it's interesting to me, it's a different sermon, different thought. But it seems to me sometimes when people get saved, they have no problems whatsoever. They just, that's it. They're free of everything. Other people, like they need the ministry of the church to help take the bandages off them to help get them free from the things that they were entangled with before, to take the, the, the body. That's the ministry of the church to one another, to bring somebody to wholeness and healing and health. Because they had to do what only they could do. They had to loose him. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, there's a little pile of clothes. The napkin was all laid there. When they came, he was already, nobody took them off Jesus, so Jesus could have done it. But he wanted us to do what we could do, so he could do what only he could do. And what we do, it doesn't seem very important, but my goodness, Lazarus would have been dead if we hadn't done it. And sometimes you wonder, what can I do for God? It doesn't seem very much. Trust me, it's a bit that he knows you can do. That's how we partner in, in, in a miracle in the ministry of the church. We do what we can do, so he can do what only he can do. Like the nice story, and you remember the first miracle of Jesus was... Um, turning water into wine, which is interesting because a lot of Christians would like to turn that water back, that wine back into water because it's a bit inconvenient. And it, it turned up at a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. And I think it must have been Mary's family or something because they come and ask her advice. So she, was, she wasn't just a guest, but they knew to ask her stuff. And Jesus hadn't started any ministry yet, so they don't know about Jesus yet. So it must have been Mary was well-respected in that gathering. And, and they have the wedding started. And uh, it's been going for a while, maybe a couple of days. But, but they've run out of wine, which is bad. I mean, for me, running out of food would be a bigger problem. But running out of wine, apparently, was a real thing. And it would be a disgrace. Everyone would have been talking about it. Everyone would have been talking about it. They ran out, ran out. Should have got married. Haven't got enough money. Should have invited us all. Should have watered it down a bit more. Should have done something. But just as a shameful thing. And actually, they, they come up to Mary and say, so what, what, what will we do? What, what is, what is, could Jesus do anything? Else? What, 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 what can happen? And it's interesting. It's, this, isn't, this is another bit thrown in. It's not what we're talking about. But it's interesting that some, some people um, have been brought up to believe almost you can, you can pray to Mary. You can, you can ask Mary stuff. I don't actually believe in that myself. I think, I think once you're dead, you're dead. I think if you're in heaven, you're not coming back. Can you imagine you're up in heaven and they say, they want you back. Oh, God. Tell them, forget it. Thank you very much. <laughs> so they might think a resurrection is great, but swapping heaven for earth? No, I'm staying here. And so they, they come in, because the idea is thinking almost like, if you ask Jesus, he might say no, but if you ask his mum, if you ask his mum and his mum asks him, he's, he's going to have to do it. I can see the thinking. 
It makes sense. And if you ask his mum, she's bound to say, she's bound to, but it's more likely to get there, isn't it? So here, here is an instance where they ask his mum. So you ask him. And you know what she says? There's over there. Ask him yourself. Now forgive me. I think if you could speak to me, and I don't think you can, but if you could, I think she still says to you, well, there's over there. Ask him yourself. So that's what they did. And Jesus noticed there were like these pots, empty pots. They were bigger than that, but twice the size of that. I mean, but this, this height that holds 30 gallons each, three zero gallons. I don't know what that is in liters, but I know what it is in gallons. So, but that, but, but, and there's six of them. So Jesus says, um, just fill them with water. That doesn't sound much to us, does it? Fill those six 30-gallon pots with water. But if you're the little girl whose job it is to fetch the water, you're going, what? What? <laughs> fill with water. Why? Well, you said so. Do you know how long that's going to take? I don't know. You better get started. If it's a big job, you better get started now, aren't you? I can imagine, because there's no hose pipes. <laughs> you haven't got hose pipes, you can just go plug it in. And it's probably a little girl who's got the job. She's probably about 10 years old, 11 years old. That's her job, just to bring... Because they don't expect... You don't expect people to be drinking water by the gallon load at a wedding, do you? And she's got a bucket. Probably holds a gallon, two gallons. Just fill it up. Okay, I'll go. So, and, and, she, and she didn't go to the tap, because there's no taps. She has to go into the yard, wherever it is, where there's a well, drop the bucket down, fill it with water, pull it back up, then walk in, excuse me, excuse, excuse me, excuse me, water coming through, and things, they can get through, and then she comes to the first one and pours it in and goes, didn't make any difference at all. <laughs> and she's back and forward, back and forward, back, back and forward, I don't know how long it took. I bet, I bet it took an hour. Just back and forth, back and forth. You try telling her, hey, listen, there's always wine in there. It's a trick. You say, it was not. You know, seeing this church, nobody helps you. I had to do it myself. They're all, they're all that. But when it comes to doing a bit of work, I'm the little girl left. I was back and forth for an hour. An hour. If it's 30 gallons, if I was got 36, 180 journeys back and forward, just filling up with water. That was water, water. Sorry? 90 litres. There you go. 90, 90 big bottles of Coke. 90 litres. It's about two pounds, isn't it? I think, wow. Why? Because Jesus wanted her to do what she could do so that he could do what only he could do. It would have been just as easy, to be honest with you, for Jesus to have said, see those empty pots? Have a look again. They're now filled with water. Or having a look at those empty pots, they're now filled with wine. But he didn't do that. He could have done that. And sometimes I wonder, why does God bother to use us? It must be quicker to do it on his own. <laughs> now, you're not going to believe this, but I'm a grandfather. I know I look too young. <laughs> but I've got six grandchildren. And so I'm going to have a second offering. <laughs> Just pray for them. We've got, we've got, we've got Nevea, Campbell, Ajayi, her daddy's Nigerian. So, uh, and then we've got the twins, but, but then we've got Lily and Judah, and their daddy's Irish. And then we've got Zoe and Zara, who are identical twins, and their daddy's West Indian. And in fact, in fact my, uh, one of my son-in-law said to me, David, all our family photographs are in black and white. I don't know what she meant. <laughs> I don't know what she meant by that. <laughs> I find it particularly, I am an identical twin. I have an identical twin brother. Uh, my, my brother is a good-looking boy, isn't he? <laughs> but Zoe and Zara, who are five-year-olds, they, 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 they just look... You can't tell the difference. Zoe's got a little freckle right there. And by, when you're at my age, you have to be very close to see that. <laughs> you say, come here, come here, now, come here. And sometimes she does that. She hides it so I don't know. And actually, if you ask her which one are you, Zoe will sometimes say she's Zara. Zara will never say she's Zoe. So if, if, if somebody says I'm Zoe, it is Zoe. But if they say it's Zara, it might not be. <laughs> you have no idea. But they're five now. But we see quite a lot of them around our house. And, and they love helping their granddad. We don't have a very big garden, but sometimes when they come, they help me. That's a euphemistic word, that. 
So, roughly it takes me 20 minutes to water our garden, our back garden, and pull the weeds out. If I'm on my own, it takes 20 minutes. If the twins help me, it takes the best part of an hour. And all the time I'm doing, I'm saying, that's not, that's not, don't, 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 oh, please, that's a flower. That's not a weed. And everything's out the shed. Every tool you can imagine. Why have you got the hedge trimmer out? Why? Why, why is that? Just, and then they bring the paddling pool out. They bring everything out. No, we're not doing that. We're just watering the garden. And I love it because they, they love helping the granddad. And so after now, they go running in and say, we've been helping granddad. And Granny goes, well, where's Granddad? Well, Granddad's outside tidying up because it'll take another hour, or at least a half an hour to put everything away and put it back in the shed and put it away. So what would take me 20 minutes ends up taking the best part of two hours because I've been helped. But I tell you, it's worth it because their little faces, when they, when they help me, I go, oh, thank you for helping me. You can see the mum was growing. We've helped Granddad. We've helped Granddad. And they show the mum, we planted that. We didn't. Technically, you didn't plant it. You replanted it after you dug it up. There's a difference, really. You didn't really replant it. You, 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 just, you just did that. So granddad's little helpers sometimes don't help. I sometimes think, you know, when God says, I'm going to use Dave Campbell this morning, Gabriel goes, oh, don't. There's so much mess when he does anything. It takes his ages to tidy it up. And <clears throat> I'm going to use Elon Wimbledon. Oh, please, please don't. Please do something. He said, no, because they need to know that, they, that, that, that they're loved and respected. And they're special to me. They get something great. And I think this. Here's one of my best quotes from me. Is that only an almighty God could use incompetent human beings like me who do things in incompetent, imperfect ways to bring about his perfect will. You've got to be a good God, a powerful God, to let people like us loose in the world and still get your perfect will done. That's how big he is. He's amazing. But the second thing about discipleship is, 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 is a process, it's not an event. So becoming a Christian was an event. You just submit your life to Jesus. Either forgive me for my sin. Jesus come into my life and change me. That happened. But being a disciple is something you do every day. It's like being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible said, be filled with the Spirit. It actually means be being filled. Keep doing it. You can't say, okay, God, just to make this a bit more efficient, what we'll do is I'll just set up a standing order. And if you could, every morning about 4 a.m. when I'm sleeping, if you could fill me with the Holy Spirit, that would do it. That would sound sensible. But God says, no, you have to ask every day. Because discipleship is a daily choice. Every day you choose, you choose to take up your cross and follow him. That's why sometimes people are going around great and then they just disappear. Because it's every day, it's a recommitment. God takes nothing for granted. You have to learn how to do that as, as, as an event. But the process is that... Um, the problem is that God sees the process as important as, as the product. And we sort of think, if I, if I actually find a shortcut to getting there, then I'll, I'll take the shortcut and, and, and nobody will ever know. But the truth is, you, you'll, you'll never, ever reach the product. Like, let's say the product is getting to know your Bible. Nobody's going to get to heaven and God's going to go, oh, you, you knew your Bible too well. Or pray and say, oh, you pray too much. Or you witness too much. You did all these things. You know, we're all still learning. So discipleship is a constant course. And actually, moving on is what it's meant to be. It's a reason for living. You never get the point. But where you're always learning, uh, where you know everything. James tells us that they, how, how the process produces the product. The problem is, we want the product without the process. Let me, for example, um, we want patience. You know, the old so I want patience, I want it now, that sort of thing. But, but no, but the Bible says, tribulation worketh patience. Now then, do you still want patience? I want patience without the tribulation. So I said, no, I'll just, just have, I'll just, I've got about long suffering. Now there's a hint in the name there. Long suffering. I don't want to, I'm passing that part of the fruit of the Spirit then. Oh, what about love? How, how, to be filled with love means God will send you people who are difficult to love. I don't want that either. I just want to be a nice person and full of God. I want, I want to grow the fruit without having to grow. 
Does that make sense? It's a bit like I want to go in the charity shop and buy the medals, but I don't want to go to war. I want to do things. I want to look as if I've done them. Praise God says the, the process is as important as the product. But there's a problem is that we, um, di- our disciple sounds a bit like discipline. And discipline sounds a little bit like punishment. And we've misunderstood what being a disciple is all about. I'll give you an example. I noticed, maybe I'm just getting old. You know, when you're getting older, you see things happen again. You think, oh, no. the cycles in life. And I remember like, like bringing up children. When we had our children, I remember saying to Mandy, we stood in, 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 in our home uh, 35 years ago with our daughter. And I held her and I said, they've let us bring her, they've let us bring her home. And I don't know what to do with a baby. She's going to be here for the next 18 years. I didn't realize how long. <laughs> I just thought 18 years. <laughs> Does anybody know? When do your children stop costing you money? Does anybody? No. There's no comfort in this church, is there? <laughs> but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how to bring up children. But you sort of learn a bit. Think how you Actually, having a child is the best thing that ever happens to you to help you really love your mum and dad. You think, my goodness, what we put them through all those years. And now they realize, how, how, how long is it before you're saying the things that they used to say that drove you mad? I used to say, when I was growing up, I would never say things like my dad said to me. Let, let me give you one, for example. I don't care what other children are allowed to do. So long as you live in my house and my roof and I'm paying the bills and you're eating my food, this is what you do. And so I would never say that to my children. And for the first eight of years of her life, I didn't. I get the point where you say, but let me get an example how everything's different. I've got some folks I know really well, and they've got a little girl who's three. And um, they, they bring her up in, in a modern way, apparently. And she's, she's never been smacked, ever. You might be all right with that. And she's never been put on the naughty step. They don't have a naughty step. They don't have a naughty step. If she screams, they just let her do it. It's fine. And I do whatever she likes, really. She's never been shouted at. Never raised her voice at her. Never told her off. Give her everything she wants. And uh, they call her my little princess. I've got to tell you, if you call your daughter my little princess, you better be ready to serve her for the rest of your days. <laughs> There's something in there. And she's running after her every day, day and night, they run after her. What do you think about that? Three. Well, three weeks, actually. You thought I meant three years, didn't you? <laughs> three weeks old. Now, three weeks, oh, that's fine. But at what point do you think they should start saying to that little girl, no? She did never say it. Actually, do you love a child that you never correct? But the Bible says that God only chastens or corrects the one he loves. And you must have been in a situation of your parent when all the kids are running around being naughty and you just pull yours aside and say, stop that, stay here. But they're all, I don't care, you're mine. I don't care what other people's children are allowed to do. You're here, I'm responsible for you. And I'm not letting you grow up as a child with no discipline in your life, and it was without being equipped with the proper life skills. Discipline is not about punishment, it's about equipping people with the life skills to be successful at life. That's what a disciple is. We have to teach people how to do that. Because discipline is not punishment. Discipline is encouragement to do the things that are right. In fact, I was brought up in a Christian home, and uh, my granny was saved in, in the 1920s in the revival with George Jeffries. And my dad was an even pastor for some time. But I can remember, we used to have all these rules. And it seems like, like I can remember having this argument. And my dad said, Dad, even God's only got ten commandments. <laughs> you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the next thing. I remember not being allowed. We weren't allowed to go to the cinema. I'm not sure why it was so bad. We weren't allowed to go to the cinema. But you think it was on in those days, what's on nowadays. And I can remember getting big trouble in our house. Because I wanted to go and see... I think, I think it was the Wizard of Oz. Maybe it was the word wizard that didn't help. <laughs> and I was only, I don't know, what, was 10 or something like that. I want to go see the Wizard of Oz. And my mum said to me, no, we don't go to the cinema. We're Christians. I said, oh, okay. And she said, what would you do if you're standing in, in the queue, in the line, waiting to go to the cinema, and Jesus come back? <laughs> when you're 10, you don't think about those sort of things. 
So I said, well, we'd skip the film, wouldn't we? <laughs> Go to your room. I think, well, what's wrong with that? I, I thought that was a good act. I thought that was a true act. I mean, if Jesus came back, I wouldn't miss the film. I wouldn't mind. I couldn't understand it. And when we were young, we used to have something called the Beano comic. You ever heard the Beano comic? We used to call my dad Beano because we'd say, the Beano this, the Beano the next thing. So, this is what you want, Pete. And the problem, see, the problem with rules is I don't, think, I don't think we need a lot of rules in church. In fact, the less the better because good people don't need rules and bad people won't keep them anyway. So you have a free rule because we're not teaching people to obey rules. What we're, what we're trying to do is trying to equip people to make good decisions. A disciple isn't someone who obeys the rules, but someone who's learned how to make godly and right decisions. That's what a disciple is. That's why being a Christian isn't someone who throws their brain away and, or, or has it brainwashed. My brain has been washed in the sense it's been cleaned. Because trust me, it wasn't good before. But now it's been washed and clean. I can think clear. I can think right. And therefore, part of being a disciple of Jesus is that you make godly decisions every single day. That's what a disciple is. Someone who makes the same decisions as Jesus would. That's why you know, a little bangle thing that people were bracelet, people used to wear. What would Jesus do? That's probably a great, almost summary of what being a disciple of Jesus is. I do what Jesus would do. And how would I know what Jesus would do? Because I've listened to him. I hear his voice. And I know what he would do. I'm able to make those godly decisions. So we have to sort of uh, learn how to do that. But, but there's a problem sometimes even bringing up, up children and, and, and dealing with them in, in a different way. Because um, as you grow, we should, God should be speaking to you differently this year than he was last year. We should be sort of grown up a little bit. I remember sitting my daughters down once and saying to her, I've got to tell you something. God never told me to raise children. And they looked at me because they know me well enough to think something bad is coming after this. I said, God's never told me to raise children. He's told me to raise adults. When you leave this house, you were an adult, and I'm raising you to be an adult. While you're a child, I'll treat you as a child, but I'm training you to become an adult. Because at some point, praise God, please God, I will no longer pay your phone bill for you. When you leave us, I'm not paying your gas bill, your electric bill, not your car bills. I'm going to teach you how to do those budgeting things and to run your own life. That's what being a good daddy is. A good daddy's not sort of paying everything, teaching everything, because when you go in that big world on your own, you're going to have to do that. I, I'm raising adults, and I'm, I'm bringing them up. I'll, treat, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll love you. And sometimes when they fall over now, I'm still running there to sort of kiss them and brush their knees off. But we, we, we're called to raise adults. Our children, our ultimate goal for them is let them love their childhood, but train them for adulthood yeah. so they can run and do that. <coughs> because, like I say, we treat them differently. Now, when, when the twins were for two, so you have to realize that for a man to look after one child is a big job. To be left babysitting one child is big. To be left with two tw- two-year-old two twins it's really big. That's, that's what you call multitasking, because there's two of them. And I can remember being the responsible adult left with them, and it seemed quite easy. So I was sitting there, and they both ran out the lounge at the same time and went separate directions. I thought, oh, no. Which life do I try to save? Because I know children, as soon as they leave your sight, they're going, they, they, they kill somebody. They do something dreadful. And I thought, right, right, she's gone in the other lounge. She's, she's, gone, she's got the kitchen. There's knives there. She's probably already slit her throat. I'll just better run and catch her. Oh, you're right, you're safe. And I thought, oh, that's so much hard work. And I don't know what it is, but maybe being a granddad, you spend, it's, it's different. All those jokes they make about the best thing is you can give them back. It's true. It's not a joke. It's like, go to your mummy. That's enough. Child needs his mother. <laughs> just needs his mother. Got your mother. <laughs> just, just have to do that. But I noticed I'm almost more protective than I was with her because maybe there's two of them. But when there were two year olds, whenever we're getting near the road, I'm trying to hold their hands. Now, it's like children will hold your hand any time except when you want them to. They'll come up and hold your hand. I'm just talking to somebody by that minute. They want you then. But you, come to, but you come to cross a busy road, hold my hand, hold my hand, 
both of you hold my hand. And I'm, I'm holding these two children. And I mean, I'm fairly solidly built. But with these two twins, two-year-olds, I think I'm going to get split in half. I think, my goodness, stay here, stay here. Stand still, stand still. Wait for the green man. Wait for the green man. Look, see those cars over there? Every single one of them, they want to kill you. They're, they're just waiting for you. If you put your foot over there, they come zooming down here. They'll splat you all over. And I'll have to explain to your mummy, you have to stay with me. This is a very, 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 very dangerous place. And eventually you get them across the road. You think, oh, I'm going to have to go find a cost and have a coffee after that. It's just, that's a trim. Talk about post-traumatic stress. That's just, that's too much. I can't keep doing that. Two-year-olds. I mean, when they get like five, they're five now, I say to them, just stop at the pavement. Stop at the pavement. You, you have to wait there for me. Because I don't need, I, I'd like to hold a hand, but I don't need to. Stop and wait at the pavement. The eight-year-old have to say, wait for me. <laughs> In fact, Nevea, our, our eldest, she's, she's 11. She's 11 going on 25, actually. But they're here there, but coming up busy road. And she took my arm and I said, stop it, Nevea. She's trying to help me across the road. <laughs> I said, for goodness sake, I'm, I'm not that old. But you see, when you're two, your father speaks to you differently to when you're 11. Your heavenly father, he should be speaking to you differently to what I was five years ago. Sometimes you think, why, why won't he give me all the data? Why, why does he not speak to me? He has spoken to you, but he doesn't want to have to micromanage you all your life. He has given you a brain, he's cleansed it, he's taught you the principles of godly living, and he's trusting you to be a big grown-up person now, and to act like a, like a grown-up Christian, and to make godly decisions. So if he's still speaking to you like a child, then it's not him that's the problem, it's me. I have to learn how to do that. The Father should be speaking to us, and we should be able to understand him. But the problem, you see, is that... Um, when God speaks to us, we, we like it if he, if he says yes. We love it when God says yes. I mean, sometimes God says no. Have you ever been sort of doing like DIY and stuff? And I'm, you know, I'm painting a wall. And my wife will come in and say, you missed a bit. My first reaction is, oh, thank you so much, darling, for pointing that out. I always want to say, it's not. It's, it's, when we paint a wall... It drives patchy. You know, sometimes it absorbs, but it's not my fault. <laughs> or the other one is, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I left that intentionally so you could come in and pick holes in what I was doing and feel superior to me. So I just, uh, 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 I don't really like it when other people tell me I'm not doing well. It's like I was in Toys R Us. Remember Toys R Us? They've gone bust. I don't know how they've gone bust. My wife spent so much money in that shop. I think we, we were keeping it, we probably kept it afloat for the last couple of years of its life. But I'm standing there, we've got the, well, with some of the grandchildren, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking at something, and I heard a little voice close by going, Mommy, Mommy, I love you, Mommy. And I thought, I know exactly what's going on around that corner. <laughs> and so you sort of, you know, just... Back up a little look and see what's happening. There's this little girl, she's not in school yet, she must still be in industry, four year old maybe. I love you, mommy. Thank you, darling. And then she hugged her mommy's leg and she said, I really, really, really love you, mommy. And I thought, I really, really want to hear what's coming next. I'm pretty sure what's coming next, but I'm going to find out. She says, Yes, darling. She said, Mommy, can I have that? And she pointed at a doll, which was 80 pounds. <laughs> so, mommy has read the books. Mommy gets, I won't, I won't get down. I find if I go down, I can't get up anymore. Has anybody else noticed? The floor's a lot lower than it used to be. But anyway, so she went down, and, she, and she's looking eyeball to eyeball, the little girl going, no, no, princess. <laughs> no, princess. Remember, we had a little talk before we came in. This, we're just buying a little toy. It's a little thing. To, Father Christmas, he might bring you a big toy, but this is just a little toy today, remember? Is that all right? And the little girl went, I hate you, and ran down the aisle. I thought, well, that didn't last long at all, did it? <laughs> and sometimes we wouldn't dare say it in so many words to God, but almost when, when he says no, you think, that's it then. I'm not going to pray for three weeks. <laughs> I'm going to intentionally get behind in my Bible reading. And so it things that like God needs you. But sometimes God needs to say no. Can I tell you a story of... Um, I'm a storyteller around the preacher, have you noticed? But, 
I've got a friend called Artie Kendall. Do you know Artie Kendall here? And he used to be Westminster Chapel. And um, when I go to America, he's in the church I preach in over there. So I see him more now than when he lived in London. But he told me this story. When he was about 18, he was at what the college, they call it college in America, university that age. And the Christian college, it's all Christians mainly went to, Christian lectures and stuff. And there was a, a young lady there in the school who was just, all the boys thought, Whoa. how you put it? All the, all the young men thanked Jesus for her good looks. <laughs> and he felt quite drawn to her. And he thought, he just fell in love with her. So he asked her out. And she said, yes. He's thrilled. So he went out on a date. And then he went out on several dates. Then I don't know how to put this. She dumped him. <laughs> just dropped him. And started going out with the captain of the football club. Which they call jocks. In America, they call sports people jocks. Over here, we call Scots people jocks. Quite similar. <laughs> and dropped him. Broke his heart. Took him weeks to get over it. But he got over it. And he married Louise, his wife, who she's been, he's been married to for more than 60 years now. So he is definitely over it. <laughs> but some years ago, he got an email from this lady. And said, DRT, and you may remember me. We were in college together. He said, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> and um, I married captain of the football club, football team. And uh, we've, we've, we've watched with interest and, and, and prayers how God has used you and blessed you over the years and brought you into London. And, and, and we're so amazed and think it's wonderful what God has done through you. But we noticed you're going to be in our city soon. And we thought, maybe we could meet up, have dinner together near the airport. So said, okay. So he asked his wife. Brave man. <laughs> he said, Louise, told her who she was. And she said, let me get this straight again. You want me to go with you to have dinner with a girl that broke your heart, your first love, your first girlfriend, and you want me to sit and have dinner with them? It didn't sound great when you put it like that, but it was a long time ago. We're all over it. And, and it says, all right, we'll do it. If you want to do it, we'll do it. We'll do it. And they had dinner together. Now, I almost have to go into, into R.T.'s way of speaking now for you to understand what happened next. Because he said, he said that about this lady... Um, there are those in life to whom time has been kind. They has kissed them lightly on the cheek and left their complexion untouched by the years. <laughs> Weight has not clung to their body in a disfiguring way. <laughs> they have learned the art of good conversation is to speak a little and listen a lot. This lady was not one of those people. <laughs> And he said, do you know, she just talked and talked and talked and talked. And he, he tried to speak and she didn't let him speak and went on and on and on and on and had the dinner. At the end of the dinner, they said, we must do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine. And as he's walking away, he's holding his wife's hand. And he said to her, praise God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I tell you sometimes when you pray something and say Lord can we do such and such he doesn't say no he goes no 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 when we get to heaven we'll laugh at that but no that's not happening I love you too much to answer that one yes we have to realize that being a disciple is learning why he says no so we don't have to ask again so we learned something a little bit different. Let me pull this together again. We're nearly there. Um, sometimes, sometimes I guess too. Sometimes I, I want to, I want to get the the product without doing the process. I want I want to get the badge without having done the course. And but but the problem is the course is the important bit. Like don't tell my family this, but not Christmas there, but Christmas before they bought me one of these. Fitbits, yeah, Fitbits. I take that, you know, when somebody buys you a Fitbit, it's a bit like buying you a year's subscription to Slimming World or something. Happy Christmas, thank you very much. Anything that counts your steps. 
And I, I found, you know, I, I did more steps than I thought. But I always seem to forget it. The day I went on a big walk or something, I forget to take it. But I found this. You know, your washing machine. When it's on spin cycle, <laughs> if you put your Fitbit on top, it goes... 3,000 steps today. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. So my girls are going, Dad, how come you're doing all these thousands of steps and it's just, you're not losing weight? I said, I don't know. It's not all just cracked up to me, is it? Because, <laughs> see, after a while, if you pretend you're doing it, people see through. Well, well, you should be getting thinner. You should be getting fitter. Because actually the, the reason for doing it isn't so I can say I did the steps and cheat. It's because of the process which it has that changes me from glory into glory. We have to learn to embrace the process every day. I think sometimes the de definitions might help us. Like a definition of, of, of discipline is not punishment, but equipping you for life. Like an athlete disciplines themselves to get out of bed and go running every day. It's not punishment. It's equipping them to reach the goal of what they want to do. So, so learning how to do the right things, is that's, that's what being a disciple is. But another word, which I don't think we understand very well, is sin. I mean, what is, we know what sin is, but, but what is sin? I often used to wonder, who decides what is sin and what's not sin? You know, like, like sometimes, some people, and when I was growing up, we were allowed to do this, but we weren't allowed to do that. But people around the street, well, they were allowed to do that, but not this. It's just really strange. So why, why did God decide this is sin and that's not? I don't know. Is it just God's capricious and sort of decides, I don't like that, that really gets on my nerves, so I'll kill people for doing that. Because the wages, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. So maybe if you sort of reverse engineer it, sort of you start from that, and say if, if wages, if, if, Sin is something that brings death. Then maybe I should find, start with what brings death and bring it back and find out which sins do that. So it's almost God saying, not I will kill you for doing that, but actually I've seen what happens if you do that. It leads to separation from me, which is death. So don't do that. I'm not saying I'm punishing you for doing that. I'm telling you that leads to separation from me. So don't do it. Sin isn't just something that God's fed up with. And we have to learn how, how to do that differently. And we're living in an age where people want to change what is sin and what isn't sin. And it's quite important. If I was to get a bottle of water, I'm glad I got this bottle of water. Not, not gin in it, by the way. It's not, can't taste the gin. But um, if I had put this, a bottle with this on it, and for, for those listening, this is a very expensive visual aid, which I made especially for you. And it says poison on it. So I'm picking a bottle of poison out and go, now who wants a big drink of poison? <laughs> no. No, no takers. Why? Why do you die? Oh, I know. It's that. What I'll do is I'll just change the label. I'll put this label on it. Water. Now who wants a drink of it? You're thinking, no. No, it's just bad what label you put on. I know what's inside it. I'm not having it. But someone new walks in and I said, would you like some Water. And they say, oh, yes, please, and they have a big drink of it. What will happen to them? Nothing, because it's water. No, they'll die, and I'll go to prison. Because it doesn't matter how much you change the label, it's what's inside that counts. And we're living in a society today which says things that God calls sin that leads to death. People say, let's change the label on it and call it something else. But it'll still lead to death. We do nobody any favors by, by pretending something isn't sin. We cannot allow that. But the reason we do it isn't because we're, we're down on people. It's because we want to save people from the consequences of sin. That which separates man from God for, forever and ever and ever. Because another definition then is the word repentance. That's a good word. The word repentance. What does it mean to repent? Well, repent means to be sorry for what you do. So I'm, I'm, going, I'm walking the way of sin. Repentance means a stop. I'm sorry for what I do. I ask forgiveness. I turn around from sin and stop doing it. Christian repentance has another step to it. It chooses to follow Jesus. See, if all you do is say, I'm sorry for doing that, I turn around and stop doing that, that's, that's, that's sorrow. Judas said that, and he hung himself. Peter, Peter, he had that, and he chose to follow Jesus again. 
takes another step. The problem in Christianity sometimes, if, if your emphasis is all on stopping sinning, it's really hard work. Because it's always about not doing something. Don't do this, don't do that. And you become legalistic, and Christianity becomes joy, joyless. It becomes, don't do this, don't do that. Like if I said to you, okay, now everyone, I don't want anyone to think about an apple, all right? Nobody think about an apple, okay? So nobody's thinking about an apple, are you? You all are, you naughty people. You're all thinking about Because it's almost impossible not, told not to think about, that's what you think about. It's like when you see, do not walk on the grass. In a, in a, I still have a problem with that. I still want to just put one foot on. I, just, I don't know why I want to do it. I just, I just want to break the rules. I don't know what it is. There's something in me that just says, do not walk on the grass. Why not? My tax pays for that. I just, I just don't like it. I don't like being told what not to do. It's hard not to do something. But if I said to you, well, don't think about it. Think of an orange. You can think about an orange, but you're not thinking about an apple anymore because you're thinking of something else. Does that make sense? Repentance, Christian repentance, is, is stop sorrow for sinning, turning around and choosing to fall in love with Jesus and following him. When your emphasis is on following Jesus, Christianity doesn't become legalism about not doing sin. It becomes a love affair about following Jesus. And we can all do that. We learn to love him and to know that, that love of the Father. And last point, you're still with me? You've stayed awake, most of you, I think, for the, for the whole thing. So here's the last thing. Like I say, it's, you cannot do this overnight. This is a lifelong thing. We all play catch-up when we get to heaven. We'll all be perfect when we get to heaven. So if you want to be perfect, you need to go to heaven. So I'm not ready for that yet. I want Because Christians have a love for life. When, it's a different story, but when I had cancer, they told me I might die. I realized I wasn't afraid of death, but I also realized I didn't want to die. I really wanted to live. Why? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its abundance and fullness. Christians should love life more than anybody in the world. Because we're, we're here to enjoy life. It's, that's the life he gives to us. But I'm learning. I'm getting better at it. I don't think I'm the best Christian in the world. Do you ever think... I don't know if I should try this here, but don't put your hand up in case it's been recorded. It probably is. But do you ever think, you know, I'm not doing very well as a Christian, and you know, everyone else seems to be doing better than me, and you come and everyone else has got a testimony, and you've not got anything, and you think, you know, I'm probably, you know, I think I might be the worst Christian here. Because if you think about it, some days, We could give a prize, couldn't we? Think of a, does anybody know the worst? If you'd like to nominate someone as the worst Christian in Elon Wimbledon, write their name on a 20 pound note and send it up the front. <laughs> but see, Jesus hasn't told us to be the best Christian in the world, He just calls us to be the best Christian we can be. I'm not in competition with anybody else, I just desire to be the best Christian I can be. <laughs> and that's all you have to be, too. And Peter is a great example of that for me, the Apostle Peter. Don't you love that the Bible shows you all people's weaknesses as well? I mean, if I was Apostle Peter, I would have said to Jesus, Peter, what about John? There's a few things you need to chop out his gospel about me. But one of them was when um, the night Jesus was betrayed and he was taken arrested, and this people come up to him, a little girl says, you're one of them. And he says, no, I'm not. And actually, he denies it three times before the cock crows. He swears. He uses bad language. Peter, can you imagine you went out and you heard your pastor cursing and swearing and you think, you must have a twin brother. That one came out pastor. <laughs> this is Peter. Because you do all sorts of things when you're scared. And he denies Jesus. And later on, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And it's funny because um, it appears as if John was hanging around just here. I only get children. If you get more than one child, if you're telling one of the children off, you don't have to ask where the other one is. They will be hanging around just to hear what's going on. Not for support, <laughs> not to defend. They just, they just love to hear them getting told off. They just love. So John's sort of listening to Peter. And so Jesus says to Peter, now, Do you know that in, in, in English, we've got love? 
is the main word we use for love. But in, in, in Greek, there's at least five, and there's about three that are used in the New Testament. There's agape love, which is unconditional, only really sort of God love. And there's phileos, which is like the affection. Sometimes that would be used for a man and a wife, and man and his best friend. And there's an eros, which is just, you like the look of it, like, I love chips. You know, that's not like eros, a bit like that. And so Peter, Jesus is talking to him and says, Peter, do you love me with that agape love, that, that unlimited, total, abandoned love? And because Peter's thinking, oh, yeah. See, if John had asked him, do you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, and mind? He'd go, yes, I do. What's it to you? But this is Jesus asking. And he knows that Jesus knows the truth. And it's, Jesus is worse than your mother, you know. If you ever tried lying to your mother, it doesn't work. But try lying to Jesus. He knows everything. And, and, they, and so when Jesus said, do you love me all your heart, soul, and mind, Peter? And he says, well, you know, I, I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm not up there. I'm, I'm, I'm down, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. And that's where I'm at. I love you more than almost anyone else in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And then, but afterwards, Jesus asked him the same question. Peter, do you love me all your heart, soul, and mind? And he's up here. Do you love me up here? He says, Lord, I'm really, I'm only here. You know, I feel uncomfortable with this, to be honest, Jesus, but I'm just about there. And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he doesn't go up here. He says, do you love me here? And Peter's upset. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. I don't. But interesting thing that Peter, later on, he, he writes First Peter, Second Peter in the Bible. He uses that word for loving God. He moves on to agape. But history suggests to us, just history, that when Peter died, he was arrested. And he was crucified for his faith. And when they came to crucify him, he said this, I am not worthy to die the same death as my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. There's a man that went from there to there. If Peter was on a journey, then so am I. If Peter was on a journey, then so are you. The question isn't, are you the best Christian in the world? The question is, am I a better Christian today than I was yesterday? Am I walking closer to Jesus now than I was yesterday? Does he talk differently to me than he did five years ago? Am I growing up? Am I a disciple? Am I someone that he can trust to do what I can do so as he can do what only he can do? Because God has trust me, and I believe that vision of a thousand people when we're doing, I think this church will be a thousand people. I think we, we need several churches of over a thousand in this, just in this town. We need it. But God is looking for people who will partner with him in a miracle. People who will do what you can do. And you think, what can I do? I can, I can move a stone. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. If a couple can get together and move a stone, we'll have a resurrection. If a couple can come together and fill some, some pots with water, it might seem mundane to you. But it's actually an act of obedience. It's an act of, of doing what you can do so that he can do what only he can do. Never trivialize what God has called you to do. Why? Because he's about to explode it with a miracle. The door to a miracle swings on the small hinges of small deeds of obedience done in the name of Jesus. So let me pray for you. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. But I'm going to pray a little prayer over you. It's time sort of gone, really. But I want to pray. And, and in your heart, I want you to say, Lord, I want to be a, a good disciple. I want to move on. And I just want to encourage you, if you think, you know, I'm not sure I'm doing that well. It's okay. It's okay. This is not meant to be impossible. Don't make it so hard you can't do it. Make it anyone can follow in the footsteps of the man in front of them. And that's what he's asking you to do. Don't worry about turning away from sin. Rather, think about falling in love with him and falling after him. We're not here to obey the rules. We're here to follow the master. And when you follow the master, he teaches you how to think differently. You see how he thinks. You hear, feel how he feels. And you go where he wants us to go. So, Father, I thank you that you've called us to walk in the footsteps of your son. I pray, Lord, that we would do what we can do so that you can do what only you can do. I pray for a breakout of miracles in Wimbledon and Merton or this whole area. There might be a, a coming together of faith 
as the faithful people of God hear your voice and we see a breakout and we see many thousands of disciples born for Jesus Christ in this borough. So I pray, I pray for me, Lord. Sometimes I think I'm doing really well, and then, but most of the times I don't. And I pray, Father, you to help us to be encouraged to follow after Jesus, not to, not to try and obey the rules, although we want to get it right, but rather to follow the one we love, that our Christianity might be a love affair with the Savior, that we might walk in righteousness because he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that we might become fruitful servants of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah, worship team, come.